Welcome to Historically Thinking, a program devoted to all kinds of historical knowledge and to the ways that we achieve it. I'm your host, Al Zambone. Our website is historicallythinking.org, where you can subscribe, find more information about our guests, links, and related readings. Our email address is mail at historicallythinking.org. We'd love to hear from you. My guest today on Historically Thinking is Steve Hahn. And Steve, we're going to discuss a paper that you've recently presented to the Early American Seminar at the University of Virginia. Um, it's introduction for something that you're working on, uh, a larger project right. called uh, Pirate's Life No More, right? That's working title. The working title, The Pirates of Providence, that's Providence Island in the Bahamas. That is correct. 1700-1735. So let's talk about pirates. And very appropriately, it's Halloween. Love to. Yeah. Perfect yeah. day for it. Um, and I have to admit that I have, uh, I was really pleased when I saw this paper drop into the into the inbox because I have a secret fascination with piracy. Um, we're going to get to... We all do. We all do. <laughs> just as in 200 years, imagine the papers on Al Capone. Yeah. You know, and it's interesting that the gangster moment, that sort of moment of gangsters and prohibition is perhaps longer than the period that we usually yep. think about with pirates. And we'll get to that Absolutely. in just a second. So I want to... We're going to have to really... I want, I'm really fascinated to talk about sources and about historical sort of methods and all the rest of that. But let's talk about, you know, let's start with, let's set a scene. Okay. So you begin with, um, you call it Pierce's Pardon. Yes. This is Captain Vincent Pierce on HMS Phoenix. The is Phoenix. Our, the yeah, Phoenix. That's correct. Is arriving uh, in New York Harbor in August 1717. Mm -hmm. And he is arrived in North America, in the waters of North America to do what? Well, um, 1717. Uh, British Crown has sort of upped its ante in uh, trying to suppress piracy. And um, so they've, uh, in addition to appointing the right people as colonial governors, they've, they've um, tapped a few more ships, Royal Navy ships, to um, patrol North American waters. Uh, they're given instructions to root out piracy. Uh, they were also told to, you know, apprehend pirates, their accomplices, and then also they were uh, t told to uh, provide convoys for merchant ships. So they would, uh, you know, get, uh, say, 10 merchant ships together mm -hmm. in uh, Charleston, South Carolina, yeah. and decide to go north, all being protected by... The stuff that we know from World War II or World War One is actually yeah, being done yeah, in 1750. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's a convoy system. That was developed during the... There was a war, 1702 to 1713. Right, we should say, I mean, there's been, so, like, since... What, since, Jane, well, since William took over the throne of England, 1688, we've got... A lot of warfare. <laughs> basically, 25 years of on-and-off warfare yeah, with France. it's a generation that really knows nothing, nothing but other war. Nothing other than war. Yeah. Yeah, yeah with France and Spain. Exactly. Together, yeah. Exactly. So yeah. these are this is wartime, this, shortly after wartime. Sort of the beginning of what we could call the Second Hundred Years War between... It's the first 25... After the yeah, first 24... Yeah. Of, the, of the first Second Hundred Years War between Britain and France. And you could say it defines... Uh, if you want to go with the long 18th the long century... The 18th century, you know, yeah. ...of warfare leading up to, I guess, Waterloo. Yeah, yeah. It's sort of... It's, yeah. yeah. Um, so he's arrived to stamp him out. As I recall from reading you know, governor's papers, usually the Royal Navy had guard ships. There's like a guard ship in the Chesapeake Bay. There are these ships, isolated ships, yeah. that sort of... I'm never sure who pays for them. I think uh, the governor of Virginia does, but they don't seem to be very efficient or useful. Yeah, well... The, yeah, probably I, one in Narragansett Bay, I imagine, or I don't know. Yeah, the... Um, well, and there were a, a few ships of the line, okay. Royal Navy ships, kind of interspersed. Okay. Throughout their uh, individual colonies had slightly different uh, policies. Yeah. So I'm thinking, the colony I, I know best, South Carolina, has yeah. scout boats. Yeah, yeah. And the, these are not uh, imposing ships. These no. are more like uh, glorified canoes with you know a crew of six. Yeah. Uh, they have guns. Uh, they scout, as their they name scout. suggests. But uh, in terms of being an actual you know repellent to yeah. uh, a pirate ship, for example, you know, pirate ships are 
overstaffed, you yes. could say, uh, crews of roughly 80. Uh, you might have 30 or more guns. Right. Um, and this is to give a sense of merchant ship only needs about 12 people. Yeah, exactly. Um, but to fight a ship, you need people to replace the people who are wounded. You need people to take over other ships. You need right. a lot more people to fight guns. You need yeah. at least three people for every gun. So exactly. warships are always much, much have huge... Uh, companies compared to a regular ship. Yeah, yeah, and that's why merchant ships were so vulnerable. Yeah, you know they had relatively small crews. It's cost effective, obviously. Uh, yeah, they're a money making enterprise. So Pierce has arrived to yep. stamp out piracy, and where does he go from New York? Uh, he goes south. Um, he goes first to I think uh, Baltimore. Uh, there's a stop in Virginia. There's a stop in South Carolina. Uh, he then curls back uh, with several ships, you know, following him. Mm -hmm. um, and then he arrives back in New York um, almost on Halloween uh, <laughs> that year. So so um, what's what about his stop February 6th? Uh, well, in February 1718, he's in the Bahamas. Yeah. he's. Why he is he in the Bahamas? Um, he gets a letter from the Naval Secretary mm -hmm. um, end of January. Um, say informing him about the, there's a the pardon um, that I guess we can talk about in yeah. more depth but he gets uh, th that information he gets a, I believe a physical copy of the pardon mm -hmm. um, and has it duplicated uh, nailed up all around New York City so you can imagine this Royal Navy captain I, I doubt he did the nailing no, himself really but he, he had it distributed and hung you could taverns church yeah. doors I yeah. can imagine. Um, courthouse, um, and then uh, the, the New York's um, governor's council met um, a week later mm -hmm. and said, you know, Vincent, maybe you should just go down to the Bahamas and <laughs> check it out. So that's what he did. And, and that February 6th date, that's the day he weighed anchor and started and heading. Headed out for it's about the a two-week two -week trip. Uh, right, sailing. straight across the Gulf Stream, yep. kind of down. You know. Yep, straight to uh, Providence. Um, so... What the pardon is for acts of piracy. Acts of piracy and then acts of aiding and abetting. Right. So this is the thing that came up in the in the um, the seminar. Yeah. Which it seemed to me uh, probably a little bit of more modern illusion might help. Mm -hmm. um, there are a lot of people who are like, well, a pirate has like a patch and a peg leg and they like make people walk the plank. <laughs> yeah. That's obviously yeah. very distinguished professors or had this kind of seemed like they might have this idea. They were they yeah. had a little yeah. idea. Now, yeah. not every member of the mafia is a made man. Right. To right. give a thing. Yeah. You know, not everyone is a made man. But there are lots of guys uh, in South Philadelphia of whom you might say, they're in the rackets. Okay. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Now, we yeah. don't know what that means. Yeah. That could mean anything from they shoot people in the back of the head while they sit quietly on a park bench yep. to they fence stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know, occasionally. Yep. Or that they have taken something. It's a very broad, you know, yeah. thing. They're yeah. in the rackets. Yeah. And then, of course, there are lots of guys who say they're in the rackets. But aren't really actually aren't. <laughs> not in the rackets. Yeah. Um, and it seems to me that when we talk about piracy, likewise, we're talking about being in the rackets. Yeah. I would suggest. That's yeah. like a very broad thing. What's interesting, too, is that these guys coming forward for pardons, they think they're pirates. Yeah. yeah. Who cares what we think they are? Yeah, I think you know? so. I mean, they're coming forward for pardons. Right. So they must think they've done something naughty. Yeah. You yeah. know, and they must think that piracy exists, too. Oh yeah. At least, at, at least on the version of the law, which is where you know most people do. Yeah. You know, um, if people really, which is another discussion, was maybe these guys didn't think that what they were doing was wrong. Well, then why would they seek a pardon? Right. Right. You know, it's there's at least there must be some sort of cultural guardrail. Yeah, I that think they feel that they've stepped across. I, I think so. Although, and, I, and it has to be deeper than just a law. Yeah. There yeah. are laws against speeding over 55 on the highway, and I haven't, There's, but there's no real cultural guardrail right. that makes that law important. Maybe in Sweden, I don't know. <laughs> but if you see what I mean. Yeah. Know. Yeah. Well, and I think the, uh, in, in terms of uh, doing something wrong, uh, 
and this came up in the seminar yeah. yesterday, but uh, the definition of piracy is a kind of a moving target because sure. at various times, including during the quarter century yeah. of war, it was legal to attack foreign ships. Uh, but I think there's a very clear, there's, I think you, you get that a lot. Well, there's, they like, they register pirates. Well, <laughs> there's a very clear difference in some people's head at the time between a yeah. privateer and a pirate. And, yeah. and yeah. I think we need to understand why. Yeah, well, and, and it's the wartime context having a government, you yeah. know, a script of paper yeah. saying that you can do this, you're legal. The king says I'm legal. If there's a peace treaty signed, as there was in 1713, and you're you, illegal. then you're illegal. And um, I think with the, uh, the piracy, too, uh, accepting an act of pardon, I, I think there had to be a real sense of calculation in these guys' heads because yeah. uh, on the one hand, you accept the pardon, you kind of accept, yeah, I, I violated the law, I'm a pirate. Yeah. Um, and then there's always a risk that if you accept the pardon, you've kind of implicated yourself and maybe the pardon doesn't quite stick. Well, that is a problem. So that's a problem. And <laughs> when, you, when you're dealing with 17th and 18th century kings. That's and, always a And problem. I think there's a lack of trust. They don't yeah. know Pierce from, or, you know, most right. of them don't know Pierce from Adam. Um, they can't really trust that the colonial governors are going right. to, you know, honor. Uh, and their, some, and some of them hope that they won't. <laughs> and some of them do. And so it, it uh, I, I think it, it was a real risk. Um, and then, you know, if you could, uh, if nobody was naming names yeah. and you didn't happen to be at Providence at that time, so. um, you, it's not like you had to go out and find Vincent Pierce and <laughs> surrender. Uh, you just kept quietly doing uh, what you did. Doing what you did, yeah. And then maybe, as I recall, Blackbeard or laying low, or whoever he was, yeah. um, got a pardon from the governor of North Carolina. Yeah, at least that was kind of yeah. went on doing what he, or at least planning to do what he was going to do anyway. Yeah, some of them did that. Some of them that that could happen if you get a, a amenable governor. Yeah, yeah. and I found um, you know there's probably roughly of the 209 guys that I've researched, yeah. there's I don't know probably 10 that uh, were in fact you know caught hanged. For yeah. subsequent acts. Subsequent acts. Of, of well, piracy. We dived in off on a tangent there. Yeah. We got deep. But so why are these guys in the Bahamas? The reason is actually kind of curious and interesting, and it has to do with like sunken treasure. Yeah. Rather than immediate piracy. So describe yeah. the, the wreck of the flota off, okay. off Cape Canaveral. Okay. So what is happening uh, and to backtrack a yeah. little just a little bit, the Bahamas have been decimated during the war. Um, and so there's a um, it's lawless. Um, there, even before the flota wrecked, there, mm-hmm. there are rumors of piracy. There's sure. evidence that they've set up uh, shop there, and then the, then uh, flota, and, and, flota gets nailed and, in a hurricane. And the reason I, I've been thinking, I was thinking about that. Um, one of the reasons the Bahamas are so great is they are. There's a lot of them. Yeah. Uh, there's shallow water. Shallow they, water and parts of it. Yeah. The um, large ships can't track. Large ships can't track. But also, slopes. they're in a very geostrategic location. Yeah. They're at the right by the Gulf Stream as it goes yeah. around for ever since Cortez came to Mexico, the Spanish have been sailing back to Europe via the Florida, Strait of Florida. Yes. And then up along Florida, take, using the Gulf Stream to get to Spain. So they're at a strategic choke point. Every ship I've ever seen going back to Europe from Caribbean waters, I mean, you, you always go through. Yeah. It, it's, uh, it's a bottleneck. So there are sense. other backward areas of the Caribbean, yeah. East Las Bahias, off modern Honduras, uh-huh. you know, Providence Island, famously down well, wherever the hell it is, near Panama yeah. or, you know. But they aren't geostrategic. They yeah. aren't good locations. Exactly. Turks and Caicos, okay, they're a little too much in shoal water. They're a little yeah. too out of the way. Yeah. So, so it turns out Nassau, uh, Providence Island is like that Providence Island. Yeah. Is really... Ground zero. Ground, it's perfectly located. <laughs> it's perfectly it has located. It perfectly located. And it, it was actually the only reason uh, that Spain held on to Florida for so long yeah. was it was... Geostrategic. St. Augustine is a way of protecting the Gulf Stream. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And in fact, uh, the Roanoke Island, yeah. the lost colony, was intended as per- perfectly a, sighted. to prey on uh, yeah. the, the shipping traffic coming yeah. out of there. So 1715, July uh, 31st, uh, 1715, massive hurricane. It just so happens that the Spanish uh, silver fleet, the uh, Flota, Galeones, mm-hmm. uh, every uh, couple years or so, 
taking the silver that was, you know, uh, mined out of South America out and of Mexico. Potosi and Bolivia yeah. and, and Cajamarca. Well, not uh, from from uh, Cuernavaca, uh, wherever it is. I can't remember, but anyway, Mexico. Yeah, it Mexico all goes to it all goes to Havana. It's loaded on a fleet. Yep. This is like the mother of all, you know, prizes. And Fort Knox travels every two years to Spain. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so you've got, and I think his his convoy had either twelve or thirteen ships, and all but one of them <laughs> ended up on the ocean floor, just off of Cape Canaveral, yep. and, uh, between Cape Canaveral and Vero Beach area. Yep. In Florida, in relatively shallow water, yeah, quite shallow. Right in the in the surf, probably. Yeah, uh, some of it in the surf, some of it. You know, the the ship just submerged a few feet. Uh-huh. Um, they they are bringing in divers. Uh, they're, they're Which bringing is interesting. In diving teams. Uh, the uh, Spanish used ice ice Indians uh, okay. from the coast who were divers. Um, they're uh, English when they started preying on. Uh, the wrecks, uh, uh, fishing the wrecks, um, they, they're bringing in divers from the uh, coast of uh, South America, mm-hmm. divers from uh, African, uh, mm-hmm. enslaved African divers from Jamaica and elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and yeah. So, and so in Jamaica, a bunch of merchants in Jamaica, they see their opportunity and they take it. They take it, yeah. And they are enlisting... These logwood um, guys who are uh, is that Charles, some of them Charles are Vane? some of them are guys who go after logwood, which is a sort of dye along yeah. the coast of Central America. Yeah, some of them dyewood. Some of them go after logwood, but um, others are just uh, yeah. mariners. And uh, you know, uh, the merchants have some of their favorite captains right. who run their ships. They get a crew together and they go um, on this. the pretense of trade, but. With instructions, it, it seems my my read on the the evidence there from the Jamaicans is that uh, they're they're telling them to go out and make sure and watch out for Spanish pirates uh, to kind of mm-hmm. uh, protect um, Jamaican shipping. But then the whisper campaign was go after the wrecks. You know, now was so, that legal under international law at the time? No, under no, law, uh, not not. It, it, a lot of it had to do with the timing. Oh, um, okay. the, and the international law was somewhat vague, but. Uh, <laughs> Uh, even the English uh, International Law Manual said a, quote, reasonable amount of time had to lapse oh, okay. before a ship could be declared derelict. The key mm-hmm. was, when can you declare a ship derelict? And, uh, uh, and it is not spelled out, but um, the Spanish later came back and said, look, you're violating your own laws mm-hmm. by not waiting a full year. And uh-huh. so, uh, in reality, by the time the Jamaicans start diving the wrecks, um, it's only been like four or five months. And uh, on top of that, there's also in law, um, you cannot uh, steal from a salvage crew that is on land already, you know, stockpiling what they've managed to dive and, and collect. And that, ha- and that happens. And that happens. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, on, on several levels, they have violated uh, international law. At a tense time, you know, there's always yeah. the, the chance of, uh, you know, a war uh, reigniting, yeah. and uh, which of course it does in 1719. Uh, right. Lesser conflict, uh, war of the quadruple alliance. But it's it, you know, in, in reality, I think from the perspective of locals, uh, you know, it's kind of a war doesn't really end. It's fought by other means, even mm-hmm. after the peace treaties are signed. So this is a dangerous situation, um, and lo and behold, uh, the English. Uh, when I say English, I mean mostly Jamaican mm-hmm. crews. Um, they need a staging area for their uh, diving mm-hmm. and attacking mm-hmm. um, off the Florida coast in the Bahamas. And also, it's just so convenient. It's so convenient. Yeah. It's right there, and that becomes uh, the staging area. So the names of the people involved in diving after the flota yeah. uh, and then establishing themselves, those are the names that people are familiar with um, by people— by usually from other people who've read Captain Charles Johnson, whoever he was, <laughs> and his history of pirates. Yeah. So he was, his history of pirates did go back to like Avery, who's what, yeah, 1680s? 1690s. 1690s. Yeah. But a lot of them, I mean, the names Calico Jack Rackham, Charles Vane, Benjamin yeah. Hornigold, Edward, the, Edward Teach, maybe Blackbeard, Blackbeard. whoever he is. Yeah. Um, these are all the people that are gathered together in Nassau, making it really one of the most attractive places on, in the world at the time. Yeah. If you happen to be larcenous and interested in making a quick buck. Yep. And I think the, uh, the 
there's a sort of, I call it a symbiosis, but uh, the people who engage in piracy and fishing the wrecks, um, they're busy with that as a day job. They yeah. need provisions. So that you create a market yes. for kind of humdrum every, everyday things. Like you need uh, maybe rice or lumber or yeah. <laughs> fishing, uh, you know. Salt uh, cod. Salt cod, that kind of thing. So beef, it, salt beef, et yeah. cetera, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. And so... Uh, and in fact, one of the pirates I've written about, you know, assembled a frame of a house and sent it down to the Bahamas. Yeah. <laughs> they don't have any, they have no wood. And, and, lumber, yeah, they, right. and I don't, I'm not even convinced. There, there were probably some carpenters who worked on the pirate ships, but I'm not convinced that they're, you know, you have skilled tradesmen right. hanging out. No, it's there. a, that's so, a good point. Yeah. Where, else that, where else is that wood going to come from? It has to come from the Hudson Valley or, yeah. you know, New England somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Um, so all of a sudden we've got a market and, you know, 18th century America is a credit economy and the credit card is your face. Yeah. All of a sudden there's a possibility of getting hard cash, silver, yeah. Spanish dollars. Yep. Um, and this is very attractive if you're a New York or Boston or Newport, Rhode Island merchant. Yep. And this is exactly what I think uh, a lot of the people um, who engage in piracy or who are, you know, kind of have skin in the game. Yeah. Uh, are in fact trading with pirates. So they're the fence. They're the fencing. They're Vinny the fence for you know the the, the, the big time you know the fencing operation and uh, and it, it's funny you can almost uh, and I, I look at a lot of uh, naval office shipping returns for various ports New York Boston Charleston South Carolina and you can almost see right around the early 1716 there's this kind of frenzy mm. all of a sudden ships start going to the Bahamas mm-hmm. and it, which it was not a place that. Uh, a merchant trader ship would normally go, you know, but all of a sudden, you know, Charleston will have four or five, you know, ships in a given month, you know, going to the Bahamas, um, all of a sudden Boston, uh, there's a guy in Salem, that kind of, Salem, Massachusetts, uh, that makes fairly regular runs mm-hmm. down there for a couple of years and, um, and New York and, and well, the list could go on and on, yeah. but, uh, there's this almost, uh, frenzy to, to mm-hmm. trade, to go down there. And again, I think a lot of these guys, maybe some of them were actually involved in acts of piracy, but for the most part, uh, a lot of them were fencing the goods, trading. They're involved pirates. in what we could call the economy of piracy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and it was lucrative. Um, they're bringing back um, valuable, in some cases, um, hard silver, silver, but uh, in, in other cases, um, it's simply uh, cheap sugar. Yeah, <laughs> you know? well, that'll do. Uh, tropical commodities, logwood sure. uh, was valuable at the time. Um, even things like turtle shell, mm-hmm. uh, believe it or not. Um, so they're they're getting their hands on some valuable tropical commodities and some hard cash. And pirates desperately need someone who will take their logwood and their tortoise Otherwise, shell. Otherwise, it's sugar. no good. Yeah, I mean, it's not like everything they're getting is hard. They're not always getting a Spanish flota. That's right, that's right. very rare. It's extremely a, a rare. logwood or other sugar ship is a lot more frequent or a slave ship. Yeah. in in some cases, um, slaves as well. Yeah. But, um, well, we'll get to that when we get to Marcus Redeker and sort of yeah, yeah. Uh, homo Bolshevismus, the, um, sort of the Bolshevik pirate. Yeah. Um, the, um, so Pierce arrives, Captain Pierce and 209 people end up being accepting a pardon. Correct. Others flee. They run like hell. A lot of them flee. About half. About half flee. Half flee, half stay and accept a pardon. Okay. So, um, so then the question is, uh, and we're, you'll get into this as, as the work develops, what's your intuition of, of who are the types of people that accept this pardon and who are the types that don't? Yeah, yeah. Um, so... Uh, and we should say right at the start, it's ridiculous in the end to talk about an average pirate. Yeah. Any more than it. You can talk about the average gangster or the average NFL player or the average housewife or the average right, anything. Right, right. You know, it's, okay. it's really hard to pin down. It's really hard to pin down. down. I think, um, and first of all, uh, you know, Pierce was down in the Bahamas for, uh, he gets there in like February 23rd and leaves April 6th. So mm-hmm. he's, you know, he's, he's there for several weeks. Ample opportunity for anyone to, you know, stop by and accept the pardon if yeah. they wanted, um, if they happened to go at the same time. But um, so the guys who didn't, um, t- to my mind, those seem to be the more hardened criminals. Yeah. So Blackbeard's um, one of them. Blackbeard's one of them. Um, yeah. And he, you know, I, I recall uh, that he was out 
uh, almost the whole time, he, uh, the whole time, uh, Pierce was in mm-hmm. uh, American Waters. Um, so he, he's out. Um, Charles Vane. Charles Vane signs the, he accepts the part, but then goes right back to doing what he had been doing. Um, there's a lot of others um, like, uh, you know, Bonnet, mm-hmm. uh, Steve Bonnet, um, Rackham. Uh, Never signed the pardon. Um, so the people that we know of, the sort of the Al Capones of yeah, that age, yeah. are the ones who never, you know, they never turn rat. They right, never, right. They never. They're always defiant to the end. Right. So that's that's one side of it. And and again, just uh, there are several references that Pierce makes to, and and others make to, you know, roughly half the guys flee. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe half are the hardened criminals. The other half, uh, I think. Uh, and again, it's hard to sort of pin them down as average. Well, let's, but, let's put a pin on the hard yeah. criminal thing, because yeah. that's an interesting. That's a that's an assumption. We can get back to that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But go on. Yeah. So the the other um, guys were um, people who uh, were not engaged in acts of piracy per se, mm. um, but involved more in the trading, the business side. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of them, uh, as I've identified, uh, had access to credit. So they had mm-hmm. the face that was recognized. Yeah, they had a face that was uh, considered honorable enough to mm-hmm. be you know, lent money to. Um, you have uh, people who are um, somewhat ambitious. I mean, they're, they're social climbers to mm-hmm. a certain extent. Um, I have a group of uh, so-called pirates from New York who kind of marry up. Um, Some of they, them are really interesting. Yeah, and um, they, you know they uh, have. In fact, marry fairly wealthy merchants' daughters. They uh, continue uh, mm-hmm. operating a fairly what seems to be a profitable, you know, trading business mm-hmm. uh, for at least a decade after the pardon. Um, one guy's involved in uh, opening the slave trade in New York, mm-hmm. um, or not that he started it, but uh, and basically this is a trade for, of uh, Caribbean slaves mm-hmm. up to New York City. Um, heavily involved in that, um, which is profitable mm-hmm. it would appear um, and um, so it, it so it's a different kind of guy that um, wants to accept the pardon and move on mm-hmm. than um, and you know the others I think had become desperate men the ones I was referring mm-hmm. to as the hardened criminal yeah, yeah. but they're, they're desperate men who I think lack yeah. uh, a network of and, and you know it's, it's really about networks if you think yeah. about it family um, yeah, merchants. Um, it's always about networks. That kind of thing. And so uh, the the guys who sign the pardon and move on with their lives have networks. To they have something. They to. have something else to attach themselves to. Something to live for, frankly. Yeah. And, yeah. and the I what think, does Charles Vane really have? I mean, he he was one of the okay. He's in the minority of Logwood. He was I think involved in Logwood. I mean, but there's. What else they have? Yeah, you know? well, it, beyond their Being crews, a plantation overseer, <laughs> I guess maybe that that sounds great. I yeah, mean, that's not very good. They don't have much beyond their crews and yeah. their, their ship, and 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 they're by this point in time. The key thing is too that, uh, you know, by the time, just a few months after Pierce arrives, yeah, uh, there's a royal governor installed at the Bahamas, right? And that would be Woods Rogers, right? Yeah, Woods, yeah. Woods Rogers, and there's literally nowhere within the greater British Atlantic yeah. world that you can, there's no government, mm-hmm. no civil society that uh, you can go to anymore and uh, the margins happily getting, walk down the streets yeah. with everyone knowing you're a pirate. The margins are getting narrower and narrower. You have to go yeah. end up in some godforsaken place like Roatan Island or... right. Know, Turks <laughs> yeah. and Caicos, right? I mean, that's just oh, yeah. some where, Cayman Island. Where, yeah, why yeah. would you? Yeah, right. Yeah, Turks and Caicos, and um, it's and those are not convenient to be. A, and then where where are you gonna? Who are you gonna pirate from? At, right, at a right. place like that. Right, yeah, that's the other problem. That's the beauty of the Bahamas. So I just I see them as the as very desperate men that. Yeah. Uh, and you know why would you be out on a pirate ship after seventeen nineteen? You, you that means that you have really. N- very few options. There's a way in which that is that does uh, reinforce the idea of them as enemies of the world, 
which is, is that, that's yeah. Roman law. Is that being brought into English law at the time? Absolutely. Yeah, okay. uh, they, that's, they, that's, that's a they, new innovation. They dust off they, that's an a new old innovation Roman in English concept. law. Okay. Yep, yeah. they dust off a, an old Roman concept, um, mm-hmm. declaring them enemies of all mankind. Yeah. And it may, and I forget, but it may have kind of crept into English common law yeah. parlance. Because that's, of course, that's that. a very, I mean, it's a very old Mediterranean concept. Yeah, yeah. You know? and, um, and the that's, Gen- Genoese and Venetians, you know, in between being pirates would be like, oh, yeah, you know, yeah, they're, yeah. they're there. But it's an interesting point. You're an enemy of all mankind where you're not part of a network. Right. You know, yeah. You're not part of, or part of the great network. Well, and I think of the old concept of being outlawed. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, read a, read some of the Icelandic sagas, for sure. example, and there's an outlaw. You're out, literally outside of law. Which and, we've taken to be a, a heroic individualist. But yeah. But of course, for them, is it's a social death. Right. It, it's social death. And I, I think, um, like I said, a lot of these individuals who, who we know as the most notorious, yeah. and famous, infamous pirates, um, they're the ones that... Uh, you know, lacked the networks of. Yeah. yeah. I'm curious also, I mean, well, let's, let's talk about some of the approaches to um, piracy itself. Yeah. So we've got, um, we've got homo economicus. Yeah. In, in, in some ways we've got this uh, Peter Leeson who's written some funny, kind of funny, interesting books. He knows how to create a great title. He, he does. He that. does. It's uh, what, what is it? <laughs> The invisible hook, the yeah. hidden economics of piracy. Yeah. And there we have very much, uh, we have the Austrian school pirate. We have the, yeah. the choosing pirate or the Chicago school pirate. Yeah, know? I was going to say Chicago. Chicago. More Chicago, yeah. I think. More Chicago. I think because yeah. Austrian is a little bit, there's a little bit more mystery of mankind in, in that. Yeah. Um, but we've got the choosing pirate and he's rational, a rational actor. Yep. And then like on the other side of the spectrum, we've got Marcus Redeker. Uh, and we've got instead of Homo economicus, we've got the Homo bolshevismus that I referred yep. to. We've got the Bolshe pirates. You know, they're all in their, you know, wooden, uh, wooden walled little collectives. Yeah. And they're yeah. in a war with all the world because the rest of the world is a bunch of damn bourgeoisie. Right. And they're going to show right. them. Yeah. And that's or, that's or sort or of like, you know, revivified Eric Hobbs, you know, Robin Hood stole yep. from the rich to give to the poor, so therefore he must be a communist. Yeah. Um, I find neither of these, as I can tell from my presentation, uh, palatable. Yeah. Um, they're neither of them are persuasive entirely. Right. Um, and I don't think that people are always choose profit. The profit motive is always front and center in our head. You know, I don't think conspicuous consumption is always front and center of our yeah. head. Yeah. And I and I find you know, uh, Redeker has had to. I mean, there's, there was one idea that, that pirates were against slavery, which we know from a very cursory yeah. study of what they do with slave ships, and that ain't true. No, they resell they them resell a lot them. of times. So yeah. that's, the idea of them as being a bunch of, um, you know, cla- their class consciousness is limited. Yeah, I, I, would, I would tend to agree. And, and I think that was what I was trying to do, or will be trying to do with this book, yeah. is to kind of... Uh, while acknowledging a certain debt to these yeah, schools, there's, there's a very they have very interesting provocative points. And, but I think um, when you break down the individual life, and that's that's kind of what I'm going at is, is looking at individuals, uh, tracking them in uh, more more in a more fine grained way through the paper trail. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think the more you zoom in with the proverbial microscope. Uh, the the less any kind of grand unifying theory of piracy yeah. uh, is satisfying, and so um, I'll, I'll be dealing with these individuals with and, and trying to figure out their motives, you know, more on an individual basis uh-huh. uh, as opposed to grand. Yeah, I think that's that's probably that's probably the best thing theory. to do. Yeah. Um, I'm also curious about. I've been thinking a lot lately about status yeah. rather than economics. I've been influenced by. Um, Murray Milner, who's a professor emeritus here at UVA of sociology. And you know, I, I'm now I'm just as likely to ask, what do people get out of being a pirate? And what, what kind of status <laughs> do they get out of it? Yeah. I mean, like, I. so you've described a bunch of New Yorkers yeah. who, in the end, can have a better status. Yes, I, and it, I think it's in, material. In, it's partly material, but it's also respect. I mean, and there's a, a, a sort of respect apart from materiality. Let's yeah, just think about yeah. that. I mean, the Blackbeard, whoever his re- real name is, is never going to have a status in the rest of society <laughs> that he's going to have amongst that 
Right. He can never do that. But he can have an intimidating persona yes, that people will respect. They, he can be respected and, in that uh, way. I think uh, uh, there's, that's, that's partly true. Although one, one of the reasons for the pardon, well, well this would be an interesting question to pursue even further. But yeah. what, what I've noticed so far is that most people are trying to distance themselves from their ties to piracy right. as opposed to you know have it um, you know carry that badge of honor with them which i think is later. part of that networks are part of status too yeah yeah i mean they have the ability to be in a different sort of society or they have different societies in which they can achieve there are certain right. people that only have the pirate society yeah. and therefore i mean it's not they're not doing it for the money who's who's banking it yeah you know who's yeah. You know, they're not doing it for conspicuous consumption. Right. They're not. They're not saving it up to. Well, maybe be Archbishop of York, but that's uh, probably a legend. Um, yeah. Lancelot Andrews <laughs> was not Lancelot Andrews, but I forget his name. But he was supposedly a former buccaneer. <laughs> um, the Archbishop of York who had two or three mistresses simultaneously. Um, but you know, they're not doing it to become the Duke of what's it? Right. They're right. doing it to be. Just to be. To be. I think, yeah. I think. And and also, if you could think of. Uh, and this is where I think Redeker's onto something, um, you know, creating a, a subculture of defiance. Yeah. You know, think think about I don't know if you could the outsiders in your high school, or you know, the outsiders uh, in any given um, society where they they turn tables on uh, symbols. Right. Uh, but I would say that those outsiders always have their eyes firmly fixed on that society. It's possible. They're always referencing themselves. They're referencing, yes. yes. It's they have, been they, have because they say, hey, we're not part of that. But they are watching <laughs> that society carefully to decide how to defy it. So they're always in reference to that society. I they, think that's a good analogy. And I, I would guess that, you know, most pirates understood what, you know, yeah. polite British society was all about or a colonial society. Yeah, it, it's, it's almost worth, I mean, this is sort of, we're now in danger of trying to come up with a theory of everything. Of, yeah. Of, of yeah. a homo pirates, yeah. but it's it's worth thinking about like other gangsters, um, you know, and other you know, like yeah. what, what do what do, what does what did the mafia mean? And this is unfortunately just as we're conditioned by lots of pirate movies, we're conditioned by The Godfather, right? To right. think about what the mafia meant. I um, think it, it could be a sense of community, but um, one and just to go back to you know hard evidence, yeah. um, I wrote an article on this Richard Tuckerman guy, uh-huh. you know, who racked up. Uh, Six thousand pounds. This is South Carolina current money, so yeah. it's uh, it's not, not sterling. Sterling, but uh, still, still, it's impressive. It's it's a huge amount of money. <laughs> you know, if you looked at the value of some of the you know wealthiest estates in Charleston, South Carolina at that yeah. time, uh, six thousand is a, a big sum. It's on and the upper end. I mean, it's on the upper end. So the deerskin trade is is this foundation. Deerskin traders world. are going to die. Well, the the wealthy ones will die. But, you know, it, there, let's just put it this, this way. This is pre-Rice, South Carolina. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's a, well, Rice is beginning. Right, okay. There, there's a lot of estates worth, you know, 400 pounds. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and, and they're pretty satisfied. And you might have the, the very wealthiest guy in South Carolina dying with an estate of 10,000 pounds. Okay. Um, so so 6,000. 6, and he, he racked that up in, you know, the span of a year. Yeah, and it's very so, attractive. So you could see, um, and, and we'll never know probably all the details of how uh, people are indebted, but I, I do think debt, personal debt was a driving factor. That's an interesting thing. And, but, um, and debt, but debt has also not just an economic function. I mean... Well, there's a, the honor, honor, I think. It's honor yeah. and, and status. Again, and that, status, yeah. 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 So it's, it's, it's material, but beyond material. Yeah. Um, so I think, but as a driving... Uh, motive for a lot of guys. My, a hunch at yeah. this stage in the research is that uh, personal debts, and it's not just debt, but debt in combination with your obligations. So, the Tuckerman guy I mentioned uh, during that same year, he also married and inherited two stepkids hmm. and um, began his own family with her. So you think about so a guy did who's die. taken on a lot, yeah. you know, within a year. And so if you're in those circumstances, do you go down and trade with Charles Vane? Yeah, you do. You know, so that, yeah. that's, um, but, uh, and what happened to him in the end? Just like you're, now that you've, now um, that you've set him up, we now, well, uh, he ends up, uh, basically, um, being run out of, or fleeing South Carolina. Oh. 
um, moving down to Jamaica uh-huh. uh, and getting apprehended there for um, technically being a Jacobite, huh. uh, but they soon found that, you know, accused him of piracy and he was hauled back to London and uh, eventually settled out of court uh, with uh, Admiral Edward Vernon. None other. None other than Edward Vernon. Oh. And this is early in Vernon's career. Um, later, who, later, Old Grog, who later old grog. introduces the grog ration to rum and lime juice Lime ration. juice, yep. And uh, mentors Lawrence Washington, who names his estate yep. Mount, Mount Vernon. Vernon. Yep. And uh, so kind of an interesting guy. And um, But anyway, Tuckerman uh, settles out of court with him and um, dies <laughs> two years later. What happened to 6,000 pounds? Carolinian. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, he, he ends up, uh, well, he paid back some of it, um, we know, because he sold, and this is where debt, you know, you can see yeah. the spiral. He sold off, uh, I believe, two or three of his uh, the slaves that he had inherited. Hmm. So, uh, which, you know, you sell the slaves, there's your plantation's less productive, so it, it, that creates a spiral. But he sold off some slaves, sold, uh, he had an extra sloop mm-hmm. uh, that he sold off. Uh, so I paid some of that down, but uh, I, I'm guessing a lot of it never got collected. Uh, <laughs> they did an estate inventory. He had a, uh, the equivalent of a, uh, a room, I guess, mm-hmm. in Kingston, Jamaica, uh, that he kept some stuff. And, uh, and I, I can't recall the exact amount, but he, you know, he's one of these guys that dies with you know, roughly 100 pounds <laughs> uh, you know, worth of stuff. Um, no real estate, no, you know, no real estate at all. We're, um, so we're running towards the end. So let's talk okay. about sources. Okay. Because the sources are great. They are um, fun. The sources are, but the sources are difficult, which is why a lot, a lot of yep. people... A lot of people, when they write about piracy, are regurgitating, quite frankly, a lot of stuff from Charles Johnson, yep. a.k.a. Daniel Defoe, a.k.a. who's the third author? Nathaniel Mist. Nathaniel Mist. Yep. I mean, whoever. The, we, might newspaper as well, we might as well just call him Charles Johnson because, you know. Who, yeah. Um, but they're regurgitating a lot of stories from him. And uh, when we broaden it out a bit, maybe some funeral sermons. Uh, or some sermons at executions, execution yeah, sermons. execution sermons, execution sermons, and um, some of the same letters uh, from yeah. colonial governors and or royal navy captains. So, how do you get beyond? Uh, so, yeah. it, it's it's just the case that it's hard to break out. We we historians are always following in the trails. I've been thinking about this a lot lately. Mm-hmm. Following the trails of previous historians. Yeah. And sometimes those are like just traces through the woods. Sometimes they're pretty close to being a paved road. Right. Um, piracy is very a paved road um, for for those sources, and you have to yep. break off that road to start finding new things or to find things that haven't been looked at as much. There's, of course, as we know, there are very few new things. You yeah. had an interesting reference to finding things that hadn't been looked at since, yeah, that, yeah. which is hard. And it those is. tend to be legal documents of some kind. So you've got the list of pardoned people, yep, which is got names, got first names, and last names, first and last names, which is unusual. Yep, um, it's hard to find a John Smith. However, as you point out, yeah, uh, what are other sources that you're using to? How do you fill out when you've got a John Smith on that list, yeah. or or? I don't, you've got other names, like Elkaniah Watson or something yeah. like that. What do you do? What's your next step when you've got from this list of pardoned people? How do you start tracking them down? Yeah, you, it, you're turned into a genealogist. I do. I kind of turn into a genealogist, and um, I start looking for uh, sources. Probably the first thing I went to were the Royal, uh, the Navy Office, shipping returns. Each uh, colonial port, mm-hmm. a rec- an official port, had a naval officer who was supposed to keep track of every ship that and are those digitized and cleared those are not digitized those are not. <laughs> so you have to go to so, so you've got only the Elkanah Watson say yeah. you have to go to say the New York and just start looking through in the handwriting of the, t- the time. Uh, actually, you're better off going to London, London? to do that. Okay, um, and you start start scanning. Uh, uh, you start scanning, um, and for, it, for, for, those, been, for those like so, the pardons are in 1717 and 1718. 18, 18. And do you look like 1715 to 1719? Or yeah, like? I'll go back as early as I can, um, and uh, so say the New York records go to 1713 uh-huh. and beyond. Um, South Carolina starts at 1717, mm-hmm. um, early 1717. So. 
uh, not much farther back. Boston starts in the 17-teens, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. J- Jamaica tried in the 1680s to uh, – <laughs> they, they actually did a really good job through the 1690s, but there's, there's actually some holes. They stopped keeping records, like, right around this time. And they've got, like, time. earthquakes and things. There, there's the earthquakes. That, most of these were sent back to London. Uh, I so, see. Um, part of an official report. Yeah, that's good. Yep. So um, that, that's where I started at first thinking – Do you have to do that work in London? Uh, or is it online? Well, it's not online. Thankfully, it's been uh, that you know they will create a digital file oh, nice. from. Or actually, I, I use microfilm to yeah, start yeah. off with. So, did you did get a microfilm machine for your office? Because I've always uh, I've got one at home. <laughs> I've always wanted. One. You can get really good used deals. Yeah, I've got one at home. Yeah. Um, and then uh, eventually, I got smart and started ordering digital copies where. Yeah. Where it's feasible. And in some cases, you have to go to London. So to look at, say, the Bermuda or Leeward Island uh, mm-hmm. records, you know, it would have it costs less to fly over to London <laughs> and stay there, you know, for two weeks than it does to have the files digitized. Which, which so, says something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I, there, I've made several trips to London doing that. But uh, So you're looking through, looking through, and then boom, you get a hit. You get a hit. And you you're excited, seeing, but it could be a different Elkina Watson. It could, but fortunately, um, you have... And, and not everyone has certainly could be a different John Smith. Yeah, the John Smith—that's kind of the extreme case of you know. But there's more Elkins than you'd think. In the, you know. uh, a few, but you, you see a guy named say Charles Whitehead. Yeah. Uh, and Charles Whitehead um, is of a certain age. He is partner of the Bahamas in 1718. So you see Charles Whitehead uh, operating shipping routes from South Carolina to Jamaica, uh-huh. to the Bahamas, like you, and, and you see him ding, repeatedly, ding, 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 and it's ding, not ding. about finding just one reference to Charles Whitehead, right. it's seeing a pattern, and yeah. so um, you will um, at least start to put two and two together, and you can kind of presume, now, if uh, that you've got the right Charles Whitehead, there may be a Charles Whitehead up in, you know, Maine, right. uh, but, this but is, he's not running the same shipping route. And he's not on the pardon list. And he's not on the pardon list. Right. So, or, you know, and so, um, so I, I go from the Naval Office records, then I move to even more genealogical right. uh, things like uh, deeds, wills. In South, so if you've got a um, Charles Whitehead from Charleston, to um, the Bahamas a bunch. Yeah. He's on the pardon list. Now you have to start using the records in the South Carolina archives. Yes. Yes. So uh, South Carolina, in, in virtually every colony, uh, mm-hmm. uh, I've at least taken a look at uh, sources uh, like property deeds. Sometimes there's church records. Sometimes, uh, and I've, I've mentioned the New Yorkers. Yeah. Uh, some of them appear regularly in the Dutch Reformed Church records because they were marrying Dutch girls and being baptized, baptizing their kids. It's the, uh, it's the fashionable, it's the big so church. Of, it's of the big church. Yeah. And, um, and so some how- of these guys, uh, were also raised there. So the New Yorkers, you know, tracking through those kind of records, um, the, uh, court cases where you've got them are, are great because you see, well, you see people at their worst yeah. <laughs> in, in disputes, you get a sense of their debts. Um, most court cases in colonial America are debt related in one way, shape, or form. Um, and, um, and occasionally you find people that own land, uh-huh. bought and sold, bequeathed land, and, and so those records, you can you know, kind of put together at least the skeletal framework of an ordinary, everyday life, mm-hmm. uh, at least revolving around property. People who've listened to the previous podcast with Brent Tarter, who works on the Dictionary of Virginia Biography, oh. has, has done for decades. This is very similar to what he's talked about. Yeah. You know, I mean, okay. trying to come up with these, the skeletal, but yours is even, I mean, in some ways harder. Brent at least can do all of his work within yeah. The Library of Virginia collections. You're yeah. using the collections of 13 colonies and in London. I mean, and also Caribbean colonies and Bahamas and, Bahamas, and, Jamaica, and Jamaica and Leeward Islands. Leeward Islands. And, um, this uh, is this yeah. Is, no, it's it's expansive. It's uh, um, one of those projects that um, I, you know, my previous book was more narrow. Yeah. Um, I got to the point in my career where I just enjoyed learning something new about different colonies uh i you know it it was and and it's also a little bit like going down a rabbit hole like you find oh yeah here's uh william smith of new york let's go look some more at william smith and and you just keep chasing especially keep finding things you keep chasing them further down the rabbit hole you um I mean, you referred to this in your introduction, and I'll just close on this as as partly microhistory. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, microhistory, I mean, it is in some ways, but microhistory, as I understand it, having been as a recovering medievalist, um, yeah. it, it was made possible by Inquisition records. I mean, yeah. really detailed Inquisition records. And right. you don't have those. No. Um, I think, this, and you talk about Atlantic history, and we can... You know, argue about it if that exists. Um, yeah, maybe it does. I heard Jack Green say, "Ah, I decided Atlantic history doesn't exist," which is like, <laughs> why, why didn't you tell us that uh, earlier? <laughs> um, thirty years, thirty later. years yeah. later. Yeah. But um, the uh, I isn't this social history part two, which is exciting. It is social history because um, I, I mean it's social history with stories. Yeah. Um, Maybe the reason why social history fell out of favor was not just the cultural turn because, you know, you had to use your imagination even when reading the social histories yeah, know, a yeah, lot of time. But yeah. I, I think this is really cool social history. Yeah, I uh, and, and I guess in some ways I consider myself an unreconstructed new social historian. Right, exactly. In, in, in that um, I, I feel like there – and I, I discovered this by through my own investigations in the South Carolina records. Right. Um, that uh, there's all this material laying around that historians <laughs> haven't really fleshed out for its significance. And um, and I, I got turned to piracy, uh, yeah. so to speak, uh, just by a, an accidental discovery while I was researching the second book I wrote on Mary Musgrove, where, um, you know, here's this piracy case that turns up in um, miscellaneous records. Yeah. Um, and, and basically what had happened was... Uh, what are the miscellaneous records? Because just because they tell, tell how awesome they are. Yeah, they're well. It's you know a collection of records ranging from just uh, bills of sale to well, and, and uh, powers of attorney. So what I found were um, the guys who cap- killed and captured Steed Bonnet, mm-hmm. or you know, and his crew. Um, they were owed a royal bounty. Uh, this is also part of the whole pardoning process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, they were owed an, a royal bounty and they essentially got paid off by their ship captains and then the sh- they had to sign away their rights to the royal bounty um, sort of to make it more efficient. So um, anyway, the names of all the sailors who were involved in killing Steve Bonnet, capturing Steve Bonnet uh, are all right there. Mm-hmm. You can see what ship they were on. Uh, and how much they received as a share for uh, you know each man captured. Yeah. So so it's it, it, accidental discovery like that in the miscellaneous records, and um, so I, I see all of this material just sitting. Yeah, it, it's really not been used uh, effectively. The court cases are some of them are fascinating. Yeah, um, and so for that reason, I, I kind of think uh, about the. The old social histories, you know, kind of using court records yeah, and other things absolutely. to dig up, um, yeah, bits of everyday life and 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 people that you, you know, weren't writing letters back to colonial right. yeah. uh, administrators in London. But with enough work and using some of those letters, we can start to tell stories of lives. Yeah, yeah, and and, and I think ultimately that's that's what I'm yeah. I'm going for. Two hundred nine, maybe it's two hundred nine micro histories, maybe it's Atlantic history, maybe it's something yeah. beyond that. I, Well, my guest today has been Steve Hahn. Uh, Steve, thanks so much for joining us on Historically Thinking. Well, thanks for having me. This has been fun. For more historical thinking, go to our Facebook page, where you can comment on today's program and suggest ideas for programs to come. Please subscribe to us on Apple iTunes. And if you like what you've heard, please, please leave a review so that others can find us. Our program's editor is John Runnett. I'm your host, Al Zambone. Talk to you next week. Thank you.